title for this message tonight does not come from the Bible, but rather comes from Ms. Tina Turner, who very famously some years ago said, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? We're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. 3,000 people have become Christians on the day of Pentecost. It's amazing. And now Dr. Luke gives us a word snapshot of that brand new church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. I'm reading from the NIV. How many of you got Bibles? Let me just see if you've got a Bible. Hold up your hand. And how many of you got your Bible on your phone because you're cool and awesome? Yeah. Great and very trendy. And um, I'm reading from the NIV. You just follow along in whatever version you've got. And uh, if you've got the amplified version, you can finish the reading tomorrow. That would be, <laughs> be good. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, it happened again today. Happened again today. I didn't think it would, but it happened. Uh, we decided to pop into Birmingham, and um, we got lost. Uh, anybody who's heard me or read anything that I've written over the years will know that Kay and I are continuously lost, and we have a good marriage, but we occasionally experience navigational tension. <laughs> Can anyone identify with that? Um, we get lost. I want you to know, ladies, before you condemn me, that I am a man who is willing to stop and ask for directions. Thanks for your support. That was really good. But nevertheless, um, we get lost um, a lot. Uh, it's just part of our lives. When our first grandson, Stanley, he's 10 now, but when he was born, the day before he was born, he turned breach, which means he was facing the wrong way. And after he'd safely been born by a caesarean section, my son-in-law Ben came to me. He said, Jeff, I'm really worried that your grandson has inherited <laughs> your sense of direction. He said, there was only one way out, but the kid missed that. I mean, you know, I, I, I think there might be a problem. And it was especially difficult today because I was operating on Waze software. How many know what Waze is? W-Z- W-A-Z-E, <laughs> spelling's not my gift either, um, Waze software, and in my Waze software, I've got a lady with, who's a bit irate and irritated, you know, but, and she's from Texas, and, and Kay's got Maps software, and she's, for some reason, got a, an Australian surfer dude with a six-pack in her software, and both of them were connected to the Bluetooth in our phone, in our car. So now we've got two voices telling us and arguing with us about where we should go. And we went round one housing estate in Birmingham three times. And I remember muttering something like, oh, Hosanna, something, <laughs> something like that. Take a snapshot of us this afternoon, confusing voices, going round in circles, completely lost. That was me at 17. Confusing voices. Going around in circles, completely lost. I was the first person to be drunk at every party. I had no desire to know God. I thought all Christians were mad. I used to raid the Christian union meetings at school and steal their biscuits. I thought Christians were all crazy. And I've, talked, I've shared my testimony fairly widely, but basically I, I became a Christian. I got healed. Um, and I thought, I better go to church to find out who healed me. And so I went along to an Elim church, and it was a baptismal service that night, and that freaked me out. I'd never seen that before. A swimming pool at the front of the church. What's that? Are they going to do walking on water lessons or something? And the minister, nice bloke, but came back onto the platform dressed as Dracula with a long black gown with fishing waders that were leaking. That speeded up the baptism. And Dracula went down into the pool and performed an aquatic mugging. These innocent... 
these innocent Christians went down, he grabbed them by the throat, shoved them under the water. I thought, what's going on? Everyone's singing a song. They're happy about the drowning. And I remember they smiled before they went under. They smiled while they were under. They smiled when they came up. I thought they'd been sniffing something. This is really weird. I went out. I said to my mate, I took a friend along for security. I said to my mate, let's get out of here. These people are all mad. We're going to end up in the water next. And we sat outside in my car and I swore blind. I used every swear word in the book. I lit a cigarette and I made a solemn vow. I'm never going to go back into a church again for the rest of my life. Never, ever. Then I realized I'd left my coat in the church. <laughs> I only went back to... The only reason I'm here tonight is because I left my coat. That's why I put it there. I don't want to make the same mistake. I went back in to get my coat and I was greeted by the youth leader. Grinning. I'm youth leader. I've never seen so many teeth in a human head in my life. He looked like Jaws with a Bible. I could hear the music, you know. Dun-dun. He said, you want to come to the afterglow? I'm like, what? Are you setting fire to the elderly? What is, what is that? And we, they're sitting around in circles eating rich tea biscuits. Only Christians eat those. And they're singing daft songs like, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Anyone remember that one? I remember thinking, praised? He's a king on God, but they need to sort out their pronunciation. This is weird. And then they sang, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north the city of the great king? What? Are they asking for directions or do they know? And then one of these grinaholic waterproof baptismal candidates comes skateboarding across the building and he comes up to me and he says, hello, are you a Christian? And I said, of course I am, I'm British. Stupid statement. Suddenly I knew I wasn't. I don't know why, it must have been the Holy Spirit. I said... He's apologizing for offending me. I said, don't, don't apologize. I want to become a Christian. My mate, the security, he said, I want to become a Christian too. This bloke was in ecstasy. He's just been baptized. Now he's got two on the hook. <laughs> I said, what do I have to do? He said, you have to come to a little room at the back. <laughs> I thought, Dracula's back there. I'm going to give blood. This is weird. So I go back. There's dripping waders hanging up. And we get down, we, they tell me the good news. They tell me that Jesus really loves me, died for me, raised again, had a purpose for my life. And I'm like, I am in. My mate says, I am in too. So we knelt down on the floor and we invite Jesus to come into our lives. And now it's 10 o'clock at night. They've had the service. They've had the afterglow. And I open the door of what was called the vestry, the little room at the back, expecting to find an empty building. But word had got round. We have pagans in the house. And as I opened the door, they had all formed a line that went all the way to the back of the building. And a big cheer went up and I looked around. And they're cheering us. And I had to go down that line. My friend and I shaking hands and getting Christian hubs, three pats. It's like Morse code. I met Kay in that queue. <laughs> she fancied my friend. But I'm over that now. When I got off of my knees in the vestry, I knew I'd found Jesus. When I got to the back of the line, I mean, it freaked me out. I, I felt like Prince Charles without the ears. It was really weird. But when I got to the back of the line, I knew. I'd found his people. You see, I had bumped into a devoted, loving church family. I'm 17. I mean, imagine this. I've got hair down here. I used to have hair. Not this shrinking, stranded peninsula. <laughs> but they waited for us. And I didn't need a 72-part sermon series on why the church mattered. When I got to the end of the line, the queue, I knew I'd found a devoted, loving church family. As we turn to Acts chapter 2, 
Dr. Luke's description. He's describing for us a devoted, loving church family. Now, let me say immediately that this was not a perfect family. Sometimes people have this nostalgic view of the early church. Well, yes, if we could just get back to the good old days of the early church, everything would be great, wouldn't it? No, because they had arguments and squabbles and fights, and they also had Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead. Do you really want to go back to the good old days? This was by no means a perfect family. But there is one word as we answer or consider the question, what's love got to do with it? There is one word in this text that Dr. Luke uses that I'd like us to focus on tonight. And it is the word devoted. You see, they believed in the power of commitment, not only to God, but also to each other. And, and, and think about it. They had so little, this brand new church. They had, they had no structure. They had no printing press. They had no New Testament. I mean, think about what I'm about to say now. They didn't even have Facebook. So unlike us, they were unable to take photographs of their breakfast and post them online that the watching world might stand amazed. They had no buildings. They had no non-profit charity structures for the proper collection of funds. They had no leadership training modules. And they turned their world upside down. And as we hear about the blessings that we enjoy, how fantastic to hear about that program that Leon shared with us tonight. How privileged we are to enjoy the buildings that we enjoy and the resources that we have. And we remind ourselves in the midst of the blessing that the early church had all of that, but they also had the component that they'd heard the cry of Jesus, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples and that you have love one for another. And love, at least in this stage of their history, was the core component. I love the way we started tonight. I don't think I've been in a Christian gathering where I have cried before we've even started. I've been in a lot of Christian gatherings where I wanted to cry during the gathering. Have you ever been in one of those where you worship for two hours, you sing the same song 35 times, you're losing the will to live, angels are sleeping, and then the worship leader stands up and says, do you know, heaven's going to be just like this. <laughs> Only longer. You think, oh dear. How fabulous it was tonight to worship with such energy, but to be reminded right at the start in such a creative way that we can have all the stuff, but if we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. Come on, you can say an amen or something. Yeah, just nod every now and again. Let's have a little practice. Everyone just go, hmm. Everyone just go, wow. Awesome. Thanks for those spontaneous responses. That's really good. You see, whatever we have, if we are not a people who love one another, who are devoted. And as Dr. Luke puts it, he describes it, Tom Wright describes it as the four great marks of the church. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. They are devoted. It's an interesting word, the word devoted. I've got the Greek word written down in front of me, but I'm not going to say it because, first of all, I will probably mispronounce it. And secondly, you don't care, do you? But the word devoted in the Greek, it's the same word that is used by Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 1 where he talks about the disciples' persistent uh, gatherings in prayer. They were devoted in prayer. Now Luke is saying they're devoted to each other. Devotion was a characteristic of the early church as described in the book of Acts. And so Luke uses this same word six times in Acts. And, and putting it simply... Back then, if you were a Jesus person, you were part of this thing called church. We're living in a culture these days where we've tended to individualize everything. Everything is about what I want. Did you know that if you go into Starbucks, 
there are 87,000 different possible choices available to you because of all of those ingredients. Does anyone remember the good old days when you could walk into a coffee shop and you could just say, can I have a cup of coffee? <laughs> now you've got to have a PhD in caffeine and a working knowledge of Italian to get what you want. Why is that? Because we tend to individualize it. In America, Burger King, you can have it your way. We even individualize our reading of the New Testament. So we read the word you in the English language translation, the second person singular, and we read the word you, the second person plural, but in the English translation, it's the same word. And so I read you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in my individualized, blinkered thinking, I think I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whereas actually the collective is being addressed in that moment. When I go to Texas, they say, y'all, y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That was a terrible accent. You all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Philip Yancey, in his excellent book, Vanishing Grace, he says, if you want to summarize the overriding theme of the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, if you want to sum it all up in one sentence, it goes like this. God gets his family back. You look at the New Testament and most of the letters are assuming that the recipients are members of a local church expression. Do you realize that in the New Testament, the greatest punitive act that could be made to bring you to your senses if you were persisting in sin that was bringing scandal to the body of Christ, the greatest punitive act was the withdrawal of the privilege of fellowship. They viewed it as being so precious. And believers who didn't show commitment to those gatherings were encouraged to change that. Look at what Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Some students of Hebrews have said that there were some Christians who were not bothering with church because they felt themselves a bit too superior. They just didn't need it anymore. You ever met Christians like that? They They've got this notion, well, you know, it's all a bit below me, all this singing and preaching, you know, I, I don't need that. I met one of those Christians once on a, on a train. I, was, I used to work with Spring Harvest, and uh, we've got an apartment, we've got a flat in Sussex, and I was going into London for some, uh, actually to do some radio with Premier Radio, and... Uh, the ticket machine on the station had broken, so I didn't have a ticket, so I'm fearful of execution. And um, I'm sitting on the train, and here comes the ticket collector, and he's having a bad month, you know. He's not just having a bad day. He's irritated. He's like, tickets! 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 And I'm like, oh, I don't have a ticket. The machine's broken. I will be imprisoned. And he walked up to me, and he said, ticket! And I said, I'm really sorry, mate. I haven't got a ticket. The machine's machines uh, broken and then I noticed that he had a lapel badge like a fish and, and a dove two of them and I thought he's either a member of the International Pigeon Fanciers Association <laughs> or he's a believer so I just said to him because I, I didn't have any badges or anything I, I just said uh, can I just ask are you a Christian he said yes I said, oh, right. So I said, do you go to a church round here? Now, he doesn't know that I'm a Christian. No clue. I said, do you go to a church round here? He said, yes. I said, how's it going? Is it going all right? Just trying to make conversation, avoiding imprisonment. He said, um, it's not good. It's not good. I said, oh, what? really? Why is that then? He said, well, they're just not at the level that I'm at in my faith. They're just not with me. So I thought, well, I'll act stupid, which is a gift that comes naturally. <laughs> I, said to, I said, tell me, mate, how do, how do you get more advanced in it then, like this Christian stuff? And he said, well, every year I go to a conference called Spring 
harvest. It's helped me become more spiritually mature. So I said, oh, I said, oh, I do a bit of stuff with them. He said, do you? I said, yes! Because <laughs> it was sort of catching, you know. He said, well, let me tell you something. He said, this station where you just got on, he said, I can, I can reliably inform you that Jeff Lucas has got a place near here. I said, is that right? I was so tempted, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to say, don't you love that man? So I said, well, that's me, mate. That's me. He said, what? I said, yeah, that's Look at the credit card. That is me. I am. I'm Jeff Lucas. He said, no, you're not. And I thought at first he might be right. He's advanced. You know, he knows. And he wandered off down the train. Tickets, tickets. And he gave me this story to tell, although I'm a little nervous that in telling it in the UK, one day he might be in the congregation. <laughs> yeah, I don't need church. It's not important. Is it all that singing? No, we just got to get out there. We just got to be organic. We got to be interface. Never mind all of this church stuff. You couldn't be more wrong. So what is this devotion, this loving commitment all about? Well, first of all, it's about tangible commitment. It's a tangible expression of commitment to Jesus. Have you noticed that spirituality has become kind of trendy these days, and a lot of it is individualized, and a lot of it is just flat-out weird? Years ago, I was traveling somewhere, and I sat on this plane, and I introduced myself to the lady next to me, and uh, I said, hi, my name's Jeff, and she introduced herself. I said, what do you do for a living? She said, I'm a clinical psychotherapist from San Francisco. I said, oh, that's nice. What's your area of special interest? She said, well, I like to help Christians to get out of Christianity. <laughs> Nine-hour flight. She said, what do you do, Jeff? I said, I'm a plumber. You got a sink? I said, well, I like to help people to get into Christianity. And she looked at me with this look of pity, like, oh, bless your heart. Oh, diddums. She said, you don't believe all that I am the way, the truth, and the life stuff, do you? She said, that's an absolute statement. No one believes in absolute statements anymore. I said, are you sure? She said, yes. <laughs> hey, hey, you got there, didn't you? A little pause, but then... <laughs> I said, well, maybe we're not flying in a plane. I'm in an airplane is an absolute statement. Maybe we're flying in a big boat. She said, you may be right. <laughs> so I thought, I'll push it a bit more. I'm like that. So I said, well, maybe we're not in a boat. Maybe we're 36,000 feet up in a large Jaffa orange. And this educated PhD, she said, you may be right. I, was t I didn't say it. it would have been rude. I was tempted to say, bless your heart, darling. You need to make an appointment to see yourself. This is really kind of weird. Isn't it strange that spirituality is in? So in some circles, if you say, I love Jesus, people think you're strange. But if you say that you begin every day by standing on your head in the bathroom, stark naked, meditating on an Ecuadorian fruit bat by the name of Doris the Winged One. And if that's a word for anybody, come and see me later. That's kind of cool. And there is a rash of costless spirituality, which is all individualized and frankly is about self-actualization only. But these Christians, they express their commitment to Jesus by their devotion to each other. And it was costly because it invited persecution. A few weeks ago, Kay and I were in a country somewhere in Asia, spending two weeks Bible teaching there, where if you are a Muslim and you convert, 
you risk having your children taken away from you by the authorities. And you may be taken to a reprogramming center to beat the faith out of you. And we were humbled by 2,000 people in one city who joyfully worshipped Jesus. And then we went to another city. I'm really trying not to say where it was. And we spent a week with them, and it was time to say goodbye. And we went to the airport, planning to just board the plane. And nine of their leaders, including one couple who just got married two days before and broke off their honeymoon to come to the airport, they came to weep with us and say goodbye. And I just thought, what a privilege it is to be part of this beautiful thing. Their devotion was tangible. I know there are people from other churches here. Let me address Life Central for a moment, and then you also. If you're a, if you're a Life Central person, I want to say this to you. Please, some of you need to stop attending Life Central. It's gone quiet. <laughs> Beads of sweat are appearing on Leon's brow. He is praying that prayer that we lead us pray in moments like this. Beam me up, Jesus. <laughs> some of us need to stop attending Life Central. And some of you from the churches from which you come, you need to stop attending those churches. You say, what on earth are you blethering on about, Lucas? Well, listen, I'm a grandparent of a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. I don't attend the Lucas family. They're in my heart. They're in my soul. They're in my gut. Getting a bit passionate here. Some of us, I know when we first go to a church, it's okay to attend it, but graduate from attending to being grafted in, to making a difference. Anyone there? Tangible expression. Secondly, secondly, this devotion, it was purposeful. It was purposeful. Why do we do this? Michael Griffiths, years ago, he said, Christians collectively seem to be suffering from a strange amnesia. A high proportion of people who go to church have forgotten what it's all for. Week by week, they attend services in a special building, go through their particular time-honored routine, but give little thought to the purpose of what they're doing. So why do we do this? Let's just quickly think about that. Well, the first thing is we do this because of something called ecclesial ontology. What's ecclesial ontology? It is the theological statement that there is a special sense of the presence of Christ in the gathered church. And so when we look in the book of Revelation, we see ecclesial ontology because we see the Christ holding the seven stars in his right hand, but he's walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands that are emblematic of the church. You see, we can meet Jesus, of course, individually, but there is a sense that when we gather together, we can experience something of the presence of God that we do not experience in isolation. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said, at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Tonight, we sang a song that I've never heard of before. I really liked it. And it is theologically absolutely bang on. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. That's ecclesial ontology. We get together to experience that. We get together to renew our identity. Anyone seen The Lion King? Raise, raise your hand if you've seen the, the, the Lion King, Akuna Matata and all of that. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> My favorite moment in, in The Lion King is when the evil scar, Q hiss. Thanks for that. He challenges little Simba. You know little Simba? And little Simba is the son of the good king Mufasa. And Simba, because of his foolishness, he contributes to the death of his father and he feels 
He feels guilty and, and Scar, who's like a Satan, because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Scar says, run away, Simba, run away. And Simba does just that. He runs away. But then there's a moment in The Lion King when Mufasa speaks from the clouds and he says, Simba, you are my son. You are my son, Simba. You have forgotten who you are. I've been practicing that all week. <laughs> Honest. Yeah. I mean, come on. I've been standing in front of the mirror going, Simba! My wife's been looking at me like, what? And Simba rediscovers his identity and he marches back to the pride land to restore law and order. You see, when we get together, when we stand shoulder to shoulder, when we declare our liturgy, if we are from that tradition, when we declare our liturgy in sung worship, what we are doing is we are huddling together when life often renders us speechless and we don't know what to say. And we are saying, I believe. And as we do so, to pick up Leon's words from earlier, we are saying it is not my feelings that will be the final referee in my life. But my identity is renewed among the people of God. The third reason is missional family. Where are people to go when they become followers of Jesus? And the early church, they're meeting in the temple courts, they're baptizing in public pools in Jerusalem, and then, yeah, then people are assimilated into the family. Also, before we move on, the church is the context for God's ministry gifts. You ever thought about that? Ephesians 3.18, Paul prays that the church in Ephesus may have power, look at this, together with all the saints, that's us, to grasp and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You see, there is purpose in our gathering. The third thing is that this devotion was disruptive. I mean, initially, it was daily. That gradually changed. I remember when I became a Christian back in 1831, we used to, we lived in church. I mean, Leon was telling me earlier that in his Salvation Army days, you were at six meetings a day on Sunday. I mean, in our church, we had Tuesday night prayer meeting. We had Thursday night Bible study. We had Friday night youth meeting. We had Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night. I mean, you know, we were in church every time the doors opened, partly because of the belief that if we didn't show up, God might kill us. But, but now we've done the pendulum swing. Did you know that the average church attendance for a committed believer in the UK and in America is one and a half times a month? And I wonder whether for some of us, God wants us to move gathering together from being an option to being a ritual. See, we all need rituals. Some of us don't like the word ritual. Seems meaningless, and ritual can be meaningless. I used to wear contact lenses. I don't do it anymore because I didn't like poking myself in the eye every day. But I had this ritual. I'd always put the left lens in before I put the right lens in. It's what I always did. One morning, by mistake, I opened the right lens cover first, and I put the right lens in my right eye. And I suddenly thought, no, that's wrong. So I took the lens out of my eye, put it back in the box, opened the left lens cover up, put the left lens in my eye, and then opened the right lens cover up and put the right lens in my eye for the second time. At that point, I thought, I might need counselling. <laughs> and we can tend to think as rituals as being meaningless. But rituals can be very positive. You have a ritual, don't you, of cleaning your teeth. The person next to you is grateful. <laughs> I put a ritual into my ritual because I've got one of those electric toothbrushes. You know what I'm talking about? And if you do 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, you get a smiley face, which fills me with joy. <laughs> I know, I need to get out more, but it just makes me happy. 
So now I've got my own ritual. It's going to happen again tonight before I go to bed. 30 seconds, top. I pray for my grandson, Stanley and Alex. 30 seconds, lower uh, lower 30 seconds, I pray for my son-in-law and my daughter, Kelly and Ben. So 30 seconds at the back, I, I pray for Dana and Richard out in, in Florida, my, my son and daughter-in-law-to-be. Last 30 seconds, I pray for Kay, because the Lord knows her life is challenging. <laughs> Do some of us need to move church? From option if the sun's not shining. As I just need to make a statement here. Some of you are going, did, did Leon ask you to say this? <laughs> Leon basically said, bring whatever you feel. We talked about broad subjects, but if anyone's offended by what I'm saying, I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> but it's true. And is it possible that one of the things that God might be asking is for us to move church to ritual rather than an option? Number four. Number four, this devotion can be challenging. Let's face it, as we've already heard, we don't always feel like it. We don't feel like faith. We don't always feel like church. It's an old story, but I heard a story of a, a young man and he was fast asleep and his mum knocked on the bedroom door. She said, get up, son. It's time for church. And he said, oh, mum, I don't want to go to church. And she said, come on, you, you need to go. Why don't you want to go? And he said, well, look, I'm bored with the sermons. I don't like the worship. I'm weary. And besides, those people at that church, they don't even like me. Give me one reason why I should go. She said, well, son, you are the pastor. <laughs> can we be honest about it? Church can be challenging because it's full of human beings. I mean, look around. Look who they allow to come. <laughs> if you want to be offended, join a church. If you've been part of Life Central or the church from which you come, if you've been part of this church for more than six months and nothing about it has irritated you yet, you are probably clinically dead. <laughs> there are so many things to get upset about. The venue is, the menu rather, is vast. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go then. Don't say anything, please, don't say. <laughs> you know this word devoted? One translation of the word devoted is stick like glue. You know that super glue stuff? I, used that. I, I tried to use that a few weeks ago. I'm rubbish at anything practical. Anytime I tried to fix anything around the house, our children would gather for a time of intercessory screaming. <laughs> and I'm trying to fix something, and I started off with fingers like that. <laughs> and I didn't fix it, but I ended up like this. One translation of the word devoted is stick like glue. I love this as well. This word devoted is actually used in Mark chapter 3 and verse 9 where Jesus says to his disciples, have a boat standing by. And where it says that they held the boat steady, it's the same Greek word. The boat was held steady in devotion. Don't be committed to your church as long as it's exciting. I mean, I say that, but I, I told Kay, Kay and I, we've been married now for... Forty year, memorable years. Forty years. Thank you. We married young. But I told her, I said, look, it's been good, 40 years. But I'm in this as long as it's exciting. <laughs> and when it's not exciting anymore, if it's all right, I'll just... <laughs> Some of you ladies... 
You're looking at me, your eyes are narrow. <laughs> you are fantasizing about assassinating me. <laughs> of course I'm joking, I would never say that. So why do we do that with church? Yeah, I'm with it as long as it's exciting. Of course, we've got different language. We say, well, I have to go where the move of God is. It's cracking, isn't it? We've got a whole set of Christian vocabulary that covers up sometimes our motivation. Stick like glue when it's challenging. Well, the last thing is this, and that is devotion is unusual. It's unusual. Andy Stanley says of this early church, I love the way he puts it, this was a head-turning, jaw-dropping, never would have imagined that we would see those people together, association. 1,800 years ago, a Roman solicitor, not a Christian, Minucius Felix, he wrote this about the Christians. He said they love before they even know each other. And I think commitment in church can be unusual, even in our circles today, because of consumerism. We want church to be what we want it to be. I mean, think about it, Leon. What we could do is we could have ushers at the door, and they could say, um, welcome to Life Central. Would you like to sit in clapping or non-clapping <laughs> today? Oh, I've had a bit of a rough week. Can I sit in non-clapping, non-smiling, non-giving in the offering, non-listening to the message, non-participating in any way whatsoever? Could I sit in that section, please? I'm very sorry. I'm afraid that section is always very full. I'm afraid we <laughs> couldn't possibly. Just kidding. Just kidding. But in a consumer culture, we are called to demonstrate startling unusual devotion well I would like our lovely worship team to come back I'm not done yet but it will cheer you up and <laughs> make you feel better so where's our lovely worship team where are those guys there they go give them another round of applause why not <laughs> and um, as they are back what's your name Ben, ben. Um, Ben, provide us a bit of helpful Christian keyboard. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be good. Thanks. Um, there it is. <laughs> That's nice. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. And, and seriously, guys, joking aside, thank you again for your ministry to us tonight. You have helped us not just to talk about the presence of God, but you have gently and sensitively led us into his presence. Thank you. Devotion. It's unusual. I read these words in a book by a surgeon, Richard Selsa. His book, Mortal Lessons, Notes on the Art of Surgery. And I share these words with you because what he describes is devotion. He writes, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, somewhat clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, had been severed. She will be this way from now on. I had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I, as the surgeon, had to cut that little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight. Isolated from me, the moment is a private one. Who are they? I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at each other so generously, so lovingly. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth 
always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say. It will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. And all at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze, for one is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. That's what we're called to. To keep bringing the kiss of God to a broken world and to demonstrate that love of God by contorting our own mouths when we're offended, when we're irritated, when it's difficult, when it's challenging, when it's boring. In devotion, yes, to Him and to one another. What's love got to do with it? you quietly stand with me if you're able let's stand together let's pray here we are Lord thousands of years after this gathering of your followers that Dr. Luke told us about Here we are, with our challenges, with our opportunities, with our blessings, with our pains. Here we are. We want to be a people of whom it can be said. They devoted themselves. We pray for one another tonight. We ask you that you will help us to move forward in our devotion. And if I can put it like this, Father, where our capacity for devotion has been wounded or splintered, where our devotion has deteriorated, would you show us ways whereby we can more meaningfully connect and serve and give and bless as a people of devotion. Let's keep our heads bowed. And in a moment, I'm going to ask that we we sing that song again that I heard for the first time tonight, Waymaker. I've talked about ecclesial ontology, experience the presence of God together. And we're going to not just talk about that, but we're going to experience that again. But let's just bow our heads for a moment. I wonder how many of us would say that we are challenged about our devotion, our commitment. And I know I'm talking to the Saturday night crowd. But we're realizing that God is calling us to fresh commitment to the local church family. It might be that God is calling us to steps of forgiveness where we've been hurt by fellow Christians. And we want to go on that journey towards forgiving. It might be that tonight we find ourselves a bit distant. Church is really 
not a ritual, it's an occasional act. As our heads are bowed, if you've just got a sense of God whispering something to you tonight as we gather together, I want to just include you in this prayer before we, before we declare our faith again. If you're feeling that way, could you just slip up your hand for a moment, please, and hold it there. Just do it now, and people around the room are doing that. for doing that. Just lower your hand, but then open it in front of you. So here's what we're asking from you, Lord. We're asking for nothing less than a shift in some lives tonight. Not just for their sake, but that your body on this earth might be strengthened as a result of choices made tonight for connection, for giving, for serving. And as I look around this room, Lord, and see people with their hands open, I ask you to place in those hands tangible opportunities for devotion and commitment. Let's open our eyes. I know I said we're going to sing, and we are going to get to that. Before we sing, and then I ask Leon to come back and close our evening. I want to do something that some of you are going to quite enjoy, and some of you will completely hate, because you don't like these moments. But let's just go for it anyway. Would you take the hand of the person next to you? But do wipe your hand first, because there's nothing worse than sweaty fellowship. It's just distasteful. So, uh, and you can join hands across the aisle as well. You know, they're nice people. That's, that's good. Keep your eyes open. And, and if you like, because we Christians like these moments of entertainment, you can also swing your hands just a little. This, this is why we're Christians, because we have this level of fun together. <laughs> oh, and by the way, if you're thinking... The musicians are playing the nice music and we're all laughing. Is that, of course it's okay. You don't have to go into another zone to stand before God. I know you know that here. So here we are, Lord, with our, with our hands joined. Come here, help me out, okay? With our hands joined. And we got, we've got our eyes open, Lord. Have a, look, have a quick look around. Not in a sort of airplane moment, but just have a look around. And we want to do fellowship with our eyes wide open. We pray for the churches that we represent. Anyone agreeing with me? We ask for your, in, your continued blessing and grace and growth. We pray for every Christian leader in this locality. We pray for dreams and visions from you. We pray for an increase of the supernatural. We pray for an increase of maturity among the believers. And we pray, Lord, that in the coming year, many, many more people will be pointed to Jesus by the sign and the wonder that is a loving, devoted church in this community. So we agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said... And with huge relief, they let go of that perspiring palm. Let's sing the song. Let's worship the Lord. Let's lift up our hearts. Lift up our hands if we'd like to. Let's declare our faith. He's the way maker. Let's do it.